Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? My name is Amy Vallejo. I'm with Social Creative Conversations, the hostess for this podcast. I am so glad to have you with me today. Hey, I'm not sure if you're hopping on for the first time or if you subscribe to this podcast, but either way, I am so excited to have you with us to hear the story of an amazing woman. That's what this podcast is all about. We are far more than the tiny little tile that comes on a social media screen. We have full lives, full histories, full stories. And it's my job to help tell those stories with the amazing creatives that come on. I also own a creative experience workshop called Social Creative Workshops. That's an opportunity to meet face-to-face This podcast is our opportunity to come together as a community over the airwaves. (laughs) I love that we can build community and cultivate relationships any way we can. That is my goal. And whether you live in Seattle or you live in Miami, Florida, or you live in Italy, I want you to know you have become part of our community the We Are Social Creative community. And I am so delighted to have you with us. And before we get into the bulk of today's episode, I wanted to share that this is part one of a three-part series. We are going to have a very candid and honest conversation about discrimination, racism, and the conversations around it. I will be joined by a really good friend, but also a woman who is Asian American and who has lived through stories of her own experience with discrimination, racism, Asian hate, white influence and supremacy, and how she learned to live within this culture And for the first time in 12 years, I have a real honest conversation with her to hear her story. When we talk about discrimination and equity, there are two things, transactional change and transformational change. We need both in order for change to exist and be empowered. But transformational change really comes from the stories about people. It's when we truly dig in with awareness and understanding. Even if we don't fully understand, we're there to listen and walk with. We all come to the table with our own experiences and our own stories. No one's is the same. And so sometimes I can't fully understand I can't walk in your shoes. I can't fully relate. And there was no expectation being held over my head to do so. What I can do is I can walk alongside someone, be there, listen, have an open mind, 
be aware and investigate my own prejudices, my own biases, my own parts in the story. It's a really great conversation. And I'm not going to lie, there were moments where I felt awkward. I felt embarrassed to ask some questions. And that's growth. And honestly, I feel more knit together with her because of our conversation. I hope you'll carve out time to invest in listening to these conversations and having your own. Now let's jump in to an amazing story of a woman who I found out doesn't necessarily consider herself to be creative until I just about had to call her out to say she leads a very creative life. And this is so reminiscent, right? Sometimes we think we're not very creative only to find out that creativity runs through our fingertips. I am so excited about our guest today. If you are local to our area, you may know her as the award-winning King 5 Morning Show news anchor, but I know her as a dear longtime friend. Of course, I'm speaking of Mimi Jung. She co-hosts with her partner in crime, her broadcasting partner in crime, Jake Wittenberg, for the morning show on King 5 News Station. Mimi will share with you her story of how she even got the bug for broadcast journalism. She has been at King 5 for 21 years. She has a wealth of experience and knowledge talking to people, gathering stories, and it was so exciting for me to be in her shoes, gathering her story and sharing it with you. It's funny, if you live in this area, you either know of her name, you've seen her on TV, or she has emceed one of your galas. You may have heard her in voiceovers. Her professional career spans a wealth of different places. And with that comes a little local celebrity dumb. And so we talk about that with her and I joke with her in a very funny way of the whole, do you pump your own gas? Just like you see of celebrities in Us Weekly where stars, they're just like us. And of course she is. Mimi shares stories about what it's like to show emotion while also maintaining her professionalism in a journalistic sense. Her job in front of the camera and in interviews is to share people's stories. And now she gets to tell her own stories through her own creative journey, whether that's on camera, through a camera lens, in her own home styling, or through movement with her passion for dance. She also talks about some of the lessons she's learned as she's walked through life. The triumphs, the hurdles, the missteps, all the good stuff that comes from getting older. I promise you, there is some really good stuff. And with that, it's time to dive in. Thanks for being a part of the conversation. Okay. 
All right. Well, let's get this started. All of my kids are at school right now. It's, it's quiet. So great. I know. It's super <laughs> quiet. I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. I was like, Jake, I'm I don't have to be in a closet. This is like nobody's walking around. Yeah. The little yeah. the clip this morning was so fun. The kids Oh, good. Did they love it? Loved it. Oh, oh my gosh. Good. Just it was so funny. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> good. Oh my gosh. My coworkers were like, she, my boss was like, is she famous? Cause she looks familiar. <laughs> and then my photographer was dying. Cause he goes, yeah, I didn't ask her to dance. I just told her like, I'm getting a <laughs> shot of her walking away. And so he had no idea. So I'm like watching the, the raw video. And it was like, as you were like, bye, you could hear him like snickering, like just totally. <laughs> Totally getting a kick out of you. I, like, oh, I told yeah. him. I told him I was gonna moonwalk away. I was like, I, I, I don't think he thought you were serious though. <laughs> I was like, I feel as loud as air right now. I know. Freedom. Oh my god, I love it. Oh, okay. For most Let's of your podcast conversations, like an hour. So usually it's usually like an hour and 30 minutes, an hour and some, and then I do condense down. Thing is, is like so much comes out of just uninhibited conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, we're just chatting and then the conversation kind of takes itself somewhere else. And so I have a bunch of questions, but what I thought what I would do is because originally I was just going to talk to you about like a little bit of the behind the scenes and now we're going to have this other conversation. So if this, this may end up being a really long conversation. So I hope you went to the bathroom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. I'm ready. But I, I like, anchor three if, and a half hours of I know that's so, true. So, I'm that's, so true. that's so true. That's so true. Well, this is kind of crazy because here I am asking the award-winning journalist the questions. So no pressure on me. That's cool. You're actually very good at this, so don't be don't be scared. <laughs> I've heard your podcast, so. I was like, oh gosh, oh gosh. Well, I wanted to just share with those people, for you and for those people who are coming on and listening for the first time, what this is all about. This is a sneak peek of behind the scenes. You know, there's like women who lead these creative brands. There's women who we see, we see you on an HD TV screen up close and personal, but we probably don't actually know the totality of you. And so this is what this is for. Like, I want to know a little bit more about you. And it turns out that you are very creative. Our podcast oftentimes has a creativity angle to it. You are super creative. And I don't know that people actually know all of that about you, but you know, we want to talk about your uh, local celebrity dumb, if that's a thing. You know, I was like joking with you earlier, but like, do you pump your own gas? The Us Weekly, do they pump They're just people? like us. Do they do their own laundry? You know, so we're going to find out if you actually do, which I actually do know that just a couple days ago or yesterday you were pressure washing your backyard. So you do get down and dirty. <laughs> and yeah, no surprise. I yeah. do pump my own gas. Yes. Yes. Oh, shoot. So We'll get into that in the first part, but then we're also going to be talking about your life experiences using your story as a valuable teaching agent for change, especially within the context of being an Asian American woman. And so we'll dive into that conversation later, but I thought I would give sort of a context into how we even decided to have this conversation. Well, I have to admit when you first 
asked me, you know, would yeah. you be on my podcast? Yeah. I thought to myself, wait a second, I don't fit into any of the other guests that she's had on because all these other amazing <laughs> women, you know, are so creative in what they do in their crafts. And, and I just don't look at myself as someone who's a creative per se. But then when oh, you mentioned I'm all sorry. these other things, no. And then I thought, yes. oh, well, I guess I do have creative outlets. I guess I just don't see my job as my, my main source of income right. as, as creative per se. But, well, and um, lest, lest we but, not yeah. forget, you were the one who approached me about making cement bowls. I mean, that, <laughs> that's true. You were like, which by, which by the way, this. I have one drying out in the garage right now. You I made just made one, one yesterday. Well, yeah, I oh made gosh. one. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So, well, yes. see, so there you go. There you go. I wanted to just set a precedent or give some context to how we even decided to enter into having this conversation. Of course, we're, you know, it's been more public and more publicized now. It, the um, Asian hate crimes have been getting a lot of publicity. And just recently, you and I made dumplings for the first time. Uh, we did a dump the hate. We participated in the dump the hate uh, fundraiser. And I, you know, I wanted to know more about your story. I've known you for almost 12 years. Yeah. And I was like, I, I've, I've never had that conversation with her ever. I've never thought to ask. I've never, like, we've never talked about it. And so it was like, man, this is a great opportunity for me to learn that about you, which, which actually I thought was very, I don't know what the right word is. Interesting. Maybe I was like, how come I've never had that conversation with her? I don't even know. That's such a large part of your life. And it never occurred to me to even ask or want to know more. And I just recently listened to a Brene Brown podcast, which is so good, but it's on diversity, equity, and inclusivity. And it specifically talks about it at work, but I just, she dropped so many amazing things in that podcast. And one of the things where she was talking about transformational change, how you need um, transformational change and transactional change, you know, like you need to know how bad it is with the, with numbers and stats and the qualitative and quantitative stuff, but you also need the story. You need to know the story of people, the whole transformational thing. Culture change doesn't come unless it's centered on people, you know? And so I just was like, that's what this is. This whole podcast is centered around people getting to know their stories so that we can move in that direction together as a community. Um, so I just wanted to say that. And, and also before we get into that, there was a couple of things that I wanted to start with saying, and if you feel like you just want to, like, I know you were specifically wanting to share about, this is your story. It doesn't mean it's necessarily everybody's story. Like everybody has their own thing. It's an, this, this time right now with people listening is really a time just to have awareness. And it's a time of learning. We're holding this space in this podcast, even like before I was just praying about holding this space to be honest and open. And, you know, I admitted to you that I was 
just sort of nervous to have the conversation because there's things that, you know, there's the fear of, I don't want to say something that's going to offend her or all of these things. So I don't have to understand everything, but I want to be able to come alongside. And so this is, that's what this conversation is just really about. So anyways, we'll get into that in a little bit, but in order to have this conversation, let's get to know you a little bit more. Let's find out about Mimi. <laughs> Are you going to rapid fire 10 questions? <laughs> oh, rapid fire 10 questions. Actually, so on this podcast, we do something that we draw a question from our mystery jar. And these are questions that the kids wrote. But I was like, what better way to start off finding about Mimi than to do the mystery jar. This is unprecedented. We always oh do goodness. this at the end, but I was oh. like, let's do it at the Switch beginning. it up. Okay, I'm ready. Switch it up. So here you go. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is so perfect because there's actually a thing called news anchor hair. What is your worst hair experience? Oh. What is your worst hair experience? Have you ever had like a super awful cut or a super awful color or like a- Well, I can't say I've had awful color. Um, I'm, I it's, I have bad hair days all the time. Um, I know people might really? say- I yeah. know exactly, I roll your yeah. eyes, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if I were to look back at like 21 years of hair on King 5, I would mm-hmm. say looking back at the very beginning when I first started, I was 24 and I was a 24-year-old trying to look like I was 40, <laughs> trying to fit That's in. Nice so yes. what did I do? I cut my hair super short because, you know, longer hair makes you look younger and I didn't want right. to look young and yeah. I wanted to be credible and taken seriously. So I cut my hair super short and um, it, I personally think it was my less, the, the hairstyle that was less appealing of all the hairstyles that I've had. <laughs> it just was not good, um, uh, but it, uh, did, it did serve the purpose. Uh, Oh my God. But as I've gotten older, what's funny is my hair has gotten longer. It's like, you know, as I've gotten gotten older, I now don't really care. I want to look younger, I suppose, now that I'm in my mid forties. So that is so funny. Oh my gosh. Well, I was sharing with someone that I, I had one of the experiences when I was in my twenties where someone colored my hair and accidentally forgot about me underneath (gasps) the the drying thing, like with the heat. And I looked like a Q-tip, like (gasps) they came over and they were like, Oh, And they pulled the thing up and my hair was like breaking off on me. (gasps) So bad. So that was my worst. That's my worst hair. That sounds awful. Never, never again. Um, Anyways. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Let's go into sort of like a brief bio on you, where you grew up. Give us a little, you know, you have kids, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I grew up, I was born and raised in Puyallup. down in Pierce County. Mm-hmm. And uh, for people who are listening who aren't from Washington State, it's where the state fair is. That's really what we're all yes. known for. <laughs> and I actually, when I was a junior in high school is when I had an epiphany moment, which basically changed the whole trajectory of my life. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you know the story or not, but it's basically how I ended up going into broadcast journalism. Mm. I wanted to be a math teacher since I can remember as a kid, I just wanted to be a teacher and I was really good at math and I thought I was going to be a math teacher. And then my junior year of high school, 
I go to the mall with my parents because we had the day off as kids because there was a teacher strike. So all Mm -hmm. the kids got the day off from school. My parents took me to the Tacoma mall. And there I am sitting in the middle of the mall where the fountain used to be. And I don't know if it's still there or not, but, um, and a a, a reporter approached me and she said, are you a student of the Puyallup school district? Uh, Can we interview you about you know, uh, the teacher strike, what you're doing today, how do you feel about the strike, whatnot? And I said, absolutely. And so she said, well, let's go to your favorite store. Uh, and I said, well, it's the gap. And she goes, great, we'll go to the gap. And they're in the gap, <laughs> you know, in between the racks of jeans. Uh, she interviewed me. <laughs> and that evening, when I watched the story on the news, I wasn't just, you know, enthralled with the fact that I was on TV. It was that I suddenly, for whatever reason, was open. My eyes were open to the story that she was telling and that I was a part of the story. It was a small part of the story. And in that moment was when I said, I need to do this. I want to do this. That's what I want to do. And from that point on, I, uh, started researching colleges and um, ended up going to Syracuse University for broadcast journalism, uh, which was a great school. And while I was in school, I got a part-time job working at a television station while I was in college. And so that helped me get my first job, which was in Las Vegas, was there for a few years, and then came back to my hometown of Seattle. So I I really have a very short resume, um, but I've been here for 21 years and just feel so fortunate to have grown in my workplace and to be in the position that I am now. I am a divorced mom of two. I have a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old girls, and they are the absolute delight of my life. They are like my purpose. And I get up every morning and just wonder like, how can I be the best role model for them? They're incredible. They're incredible little girls. Um, And so you live in North Seattle right now, Mm -hmm. right? And you do a commute to King Five. Yes, but luckily I right. do it at three in the morning. So right. no one else is on the road. Right. <laughs> so right. I anchor the I anchor the morning show. And uh, so that means I get up at 2.15 in the morning and I'm at work uh, between three and three fifteen. And you know, it's people always ask, how do you do it? Uh, a lot of coffee. Truly yeah. a lot of coffee. But uh, honestly, I think I'm a, I've always been a morning person. And so I'm the type of person, that annoying person who the moment she gets up, she could have, have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas there's some people who need like time and coffee and yeah. more time. Um, yeah, no, I, I can get up and actually carry on a, a conversation with somebody. And so I, the moment I get into work, I really feel like the buzz of the newsroom, the buzz of the day, and I don't have any time to, there's no time to spare in my morning. Like the moment I get in, I'm immediately yeah. like going into reading scripts and having conversations with people and going into hair and makeup. And I, I don't have time to, you know, check in with my coworker at the water cooler or check right. my email. There's no, it's just, you're, you're in the fire immediately. And so because of that, your adrenaline goes and then that keeps you going basically for the rest of the morning. Oh my word. So let me, so because you have kids um, and you get up at the crack of dawn, what is like, we'll just say, well, you're on vacation today, but what's a yeah. normal weekday? Like when, when do you get up in the morning? How do you shuffle around with kids and do all that? Yeah, well, I wouldn't have been able to do it without a nanny. So yeah. our my nanny would show up at, you know, 
ODARC 30. Yes. And, um, and uh, she has basically for the last eight years um, made breakfast for the girls and packed their lunches and yeah. did all the things that I would normally do if I were home. And then uh, I connect with my kids every morning at the same time on FaceTime. Um, yeah. And just to be able to just say hi and have that connection. There's not any meaningful conversation usually that happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such a short window. And I'm, yeah. I'm literally like, okay, go, 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 go. Okay. Go, go. Yeah. I'll see you after school. Okay. Go, gotta go. Two yeah. seconds. Bye. Yeah. Click. Oh and then I'm like, gosh. welcome back. It's yeah. 7.15, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I do. I have a nanny who helps out and yeah. then, but the, the reason why I moved to working on this crazy morning shift is so that I can get off work and be with them after school. Yeah. And for the last eight years, I've picked them up every day after school and taken them to their all their activities, which they have many. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows me to be mom. And I'm able to have balance in my life where I can do both, right? I've done my job as a full-time employee. And then I feel like for the most part, I'm able to be full-time mom as well. So I feel very, very grateful to have uh, a job that allows me to do both. I mean, Mm -hmm. of course, the sacrifice is that I'm constantly tired and sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... I mean, but you know, we all sacrifice as parents. Sure, sure. You get up when it's still really, really dark, but it allows you being able to pick up your kids from school and have that. And I know, I know just from, from knowing you that that was really important to you in the, in, you know, various things. Um, So a lot of people may not know this about you, but you actually, we were talking about how you are a creative and, and some of your creative outlets, like dancing. You're a phenomenal dancer. Is that, have you all, is that just in you? Did you do dance when you were a kid? Yeah. Dance was a huge part of my life growing up. I started dancing when I was three Yeah, and I danced very a lot. I mean, I took multiple, multiple classes. My mom, actually, I was asking her the other day, because I have a younger brother and a younger sister who didn't really have very many activities. I did piano. I was in the orchestra. I was in the youth symphony. I did dance. I was in pretty much every club in high school. And I honestly don't know how I did it all. But I remember basically living at the dance studio. I had so many dance classes. And I asked my mom, you know, before I could drive to them, my mom would drive me to all these dance classes. And she would have to, because it wasn't near our house. It was like a half an hour away. And so she would have to sit there and wait till my dance class was over. She couldn't go home and go back like what I do with my kids. Right. And I asked her just the other day, I go, where were Frank and Cindy? And she goes, they were in the lobby. Yeah. And I was keeping them entertained. (laughs) I just didn't remember. So anyway, I, I danced from three to 18 and then I stopped dancing. Um, and I, you know, moved on, you know, with college and career and whatnot. And, but it's always been, a part of me. And so when I turned 40, as as when they turn 40, (laughs) you start looking at your life going, okay, what, what am I not doing that I should be doing? What risks am I not taking that I should be taking? Like life is too short. And I just thought, you know what? I've always wanted to go back to dance class. And so I Googled, you know, adult dance classes and found... (laughs) found a dance studio uh, called Westlake Dance Center. And I just thought, this is so scary. This is very vulnerable to walk into a dance studio. And they're luckily, they're all adults. But holy moly, these dancers. Oh, my gosh. 
were okay so let me just say the choreographers at this dance studio some of them have gone on to dance with um justin timberlake and like the, they're the backup dancers like right they're they're the the dancers who you know are the sea gals you know former sonics dancers right uh people who are are in musical theater locally who yeah. if you've ever seen some of the the you know fifth avenue or village right. theater like those dancers who are doing like quadruple pirouettes like i was in dance class with these people like what the heck hey, am guys. i doing here <laughs> um but i pushed through that 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 vulnerable place of yeah being, i mean when you dance you are you cannot be more vulnerable right you're just out right. there oh my god and i pushed through that and um and realized that i needed to tap into that creative outlet and that when i'm in that that space of dance, um, it, that and playing piano, I cannot think of anything else. Even if I walk in and I'm stressed about life or I'm worried about something, I might for warm ups in the first five to 10 minutes still be thinking about that. And then the moment I start really diving into choreography, my, my brain does not have enough space to hold anything else. Yeah. And so it feels like when I leave class that I, it feels like I got a massage. I know that sounds oh really weird, gosh. but yeah. it's like a massage for your brain. Like it's mm -hmm. just a, it's an escape because your brain is tapping into other areas mm. that are, you know, fulfilling and are hard. Like it's not easy for me. Um, choreography doesn't come easy for me. I really have to work at it, yeah. uh, but I love it. So it, you go into this other space of your brain that you tap into that just you leave feeling rejuvenated and refreshed and inspired and in all these things maybe a lot of creatives feel if they were to be doing this on a you know daily basis but i don't do that for my job so i i tap into a different part of my brain mm. and i love that mm -hmm. oh my goodness well you can certainly hang with you can hang with the big kids let me tell you i've seen your dancing. i'm like oh my gosh i could not do the choreography that you do it's like insane Thanks. but so you have also owned your own photography business. Yeah. In fact, you photoed, you, it was a new newborn and kids, I guess you did some kids. I did um, your maternity photos. You did my maternity. You did yeah. all of my baby's little photo. Yeah. Um, but you had that for a while. What, uh, you ended up closing it just professionally, but you certainly do have a photographer's eye and you can see that and everything that you photo. But, um, what was that? Have you always had an act for photography, a desire to do that? Not really. I mean, no. I, I sort of, I actually took photography classes in high school, but that was yeah. my only introduction to the photography world. Never mm -hmm. thought I would, uh, pick that up again. Mm -hmm. But um, it was after I got married and we went on our first trip to um, France. And right before that, I thought, you know, I'm going to France, I should buy a, a nice camera. And so uh, I thought to myself, if I buy a nice camera and I spend the money on it, then when I when I get back home from this trip, I'm really going to learn how to use it Yeah, just and, and like manually be able to use it, not put it on auto. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just started, I thought, okay, what do I want to photograph? That's going to be inspiring to me. And flowers were not it. Landscape was not, yeah, we, it's nice, but it doesn't really get me. And I thought people, that's yeah. what I want to photograph is people. Um, and so I just, you know, called up a few friends who had kids and I just said, Hey, do you mind if I just like 
use my camera. It's reading a manual is one thing, but going out and actually doing it is another and being able to see real life. Okay. When I use this setting, this is what happened. When I changed this setting, this is what happened. And right. so just getting hands-on experience. Um, I needed subjects is basically what it came down to. Yeah. And that's how it started. I just did it for fun just to be able to have um, subjects that I can take p- photos of and learn from. And then before you knew it, my friends said to me, I mean, they were giving me gift cards and they were trying to pay me. And I, you know, I said, no, 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 I no, I don't want to take your money. But then after a while, I thought, oh my gosh, like I got pretty good at doing it. And um, friends referred of other friends who referred other friends. And pretty soon I had people who were asking me, did you need more, did you need yeah. more subjects? Mm-hmm. Um, because they just love the photos so much. And I just realized, wow, I could actually Mm. start a business doing this. And it was, um, at the time I, my work, I was working a schedule where I was working 3 PM until midnight. So I, I didn't have any kids at the time. I had six hours where I'd get up in the morning of nothing to do. And that's how I used my time was just to be able to tap into this other creative way, um, and seeing just how I could tell stories in a, through the lens of a camera versus yeah. through writing you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I developed an eye. It wasn't something that I think was always inherent for me. I, I don't know. Um, but it did come very easily and quickly Mm -hmm. and I, I grew and I learned a lot and, um, my business is booming. I could have quit my job, honestly, and uh, uh, gone into this full time, but, um, it has been such a, an amazing outlet for me because, um, because it's the kind of work where uh, people say to me, I can't put a price on this. Mm. What you did for my family and ha- what you captured, I can't put a price on. Yeah. And it's, you know, I guess it was also nice because, you know, my job is often, it's difficult because there's just so much negative news that I have to report and talk about. And a lot of times I know deep in the back of my head, what I'm doing matters Mm -hmm. and that it's important, but it doesn't feel that way on a daily basis. And so when I, when I give those photos to these families, whether it be capturing, you know, their first pregnancy or their newborn or, um, you know, their, their, their children as toddlers or their whole family or, you know, whatnot, I was giving them something and I was allowing them to see something of themselves that they hadn't seen before. And, um, for a lot of moms out there who, you know, you never are never in front of the camera because you're always taking the photos, Mm -hmm. um, just being able to give this gift to these moms who were a part of, you know, being able to take these candid photos of them. What does it look like when you were with your children? What is that? What do you look like? And being able to capture that, that's priceless. And I just felt so good about what I was doing. Yeah. Well, I always say like the best photographer is able to transport you right back to that emotion that you had Mm. in that moment. And, and you certainly were, are able to do that. I mean, I saw that in all of the photos that you took for my, my babies. It just takes me right back to how I was feeling as a mom when I look at a picture of my Mm. baby. So yeah. Yeah. So good. So I, we had a question I'm going to, and actually just so you know, we have, uh, we had a bunch of questions come in and I'm just going to insert them in where, where I feel like, but one of the questions was, what do you feel like your main creative outlet is outside of work? Do you feel like it's dance or photography or something else right now? 
I think right now um, it's a mixture of it's less photography these days. I wish it was one of my New Year's resolutions was actually to take more photos of my children mm -hmm. um, because I sh I should. Yeah. <laughs> Because we all should, but um, I'm failing on that New Year's resolution, by the way. Um, <laughs> but the creative thing I do, I mean, dance is huge, uh, a, a big part. And then I would say, like, I'm really into interior design. So yes, you're a good interior designer. You really um, are. I that I do it for fun, and people have asked me, "Oh, you should do that," you know, as a full time job. And I I think that it would take the fun away mm -hmm. <laughs> if I actually mm -hmm. got paid to do it. Right. But um, I I have done you know just I that's just what I love. I love um, creating spaces, and I've been working, for example, mm -hmm. with my sister, where she does not have an eye for this stuff, and she yes. has asked me to go into all these different rooms of her of her home, and and finally she says, "I'm finally adulting now." Um, <laughs> you know, real furniture and, and actually yeah. that match and, you know, yeah. Are cohesive. Yeah. Um, and so she's asked me to come in and I've been able to, you know, ask her questions about, you know, what her style is, give her input on what I can see things cohesively. And there's a lot of people who just can't visualize it. Um, I, I see color really well. Um, I see scale really well. And so I just use all those things and am able to, you know, just kind of renovate these rooms for her. And it's been really fun because there's no pressure, you know, it's my sister and yeah. she's loved it. And that's the other part. It's sort of like the feedback I get from photography. She walks into her bedroom now and she's just like, I love it so much. Yeah. I just oh. love it so much. I redid yes. her guest bedroom. She goes, I want to, can I move down here? Live it's so nice it. now. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it just being able to know that you created something for someone and that every single day they benefit or appreciate it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, speaking just speaking creatively, a lot of part of the creative process is putting yourself, putting yourself out there, doing some overcoming a fear, doing something that's really scary. You know, you seem like such a confident person and you really are, but the way it appears on camera is that you're polished and confident. And I'm curious is what scares you? Is there anything that you have ever wanted to try, but fear has kept you from doing it? I think just failure, mm. right? Trying mm -hmm. something and realizing you're not good at it. Yeah. Um, and I think that for someone like me who has a type A personality, um, yeah. I want to be good at everything I do. And so right. it's scary when I try something and I'm really not sure if I'm going to succeed, right? Yeah. That probably is the same thing for a lot of people, right? If mm -hmm. we do lots of other things, if we knew we were going to be successful at them. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that um, I, I have learned to embrace um, risk as I've gotten older and that, um, the fear of falling and, and being able to pick yourself up and knowing you're going to survive and, you know, going through a divorce is probably the scariest mm -hmm. thing that I had to endure mm -hmm. and go through mm -hmm. and knowing that I can survive that knowing that I can pick myself up and be okay mm -hmm is something that I've not only learned about myself, but I've taught my kids, mm -hmm. which isn't something, you know, I went into thinking that was my goal. Um, but because of that, like when, once you do something and you risk things and you 
you realize that maybe you fail, you don't fail. But just even taking that risk allows you to open the door for other risks. And so I think because of that, going through a divorce being the first major sort of crack in my life, I mean, it was Mm -hmm. a gigantic Mm -hmm. um, valley. Mm -hmm. Um, It allowed me then to realize, no, I can survive and I'm stronger than I thought I was. And if that was scary, wait, then I can do other scary things. So so because of that, I do lots of things that I maybe wouldn't have done before Mm -hmm. I was 40. Mm -hmm. And that does include things like getting up on stage and dancing in front of people and performing and, and, you know, and (laughs) thinking I might fall flat on my face, literally might fall flat on my face in front Mm -hmm. of hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just going to have to figure it out, you know? Um, But that fear is, is Mm -hmm. uh, knowing you can work through that fear and get through it on the other side, like going through the fire and realizing like, Oh, that hurt. Yeah. But hey, I made it. Um, <laughs> you just realize, wow, look, if I can do that, then I can do this. And so right. probably a lot more things that I will do and continue to do that I was afraid of before. Yeah. I, I think that's so true. Even, I mean, as we get older, the goal is more self-awareness, right? And that means knowing you can actually get through. I mean, if you fall, you fall. Okay. Well, I'll just pick myself up and no big deal. It's almost like you don't even care as much anymore the way you used to in your twenties, you know, I mean, thank God, thank God for that. Um, but yeah, I think you're, you're so, so right on that. Okay. Here's a question that came in. What is one thing you think people perceive, but get wrong about you? Oh, that's such a good question. Oh. Um, I think people think I live a perfect life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, and I, it's, it's interesting because I don't try to like, mm-hmm. I, I truly don't try to appear to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that's why I really make it a point like on my social media to be really honest about my struggles or um, whether it be struggles with mental health or just struggles with life or being a parent or work as hard. Like I don't shy away from that. I try not to paint this rosy picture of my life and only put the good stuff on. Um, But I think that people perceive my life as sort of like she has this ideal life Um, who, you know, someone who didn't go through a lot, doesn't, hasn't gone through a lot of challenges or hard times. And, you know, I, I might have said, well, I guess that's true prior to turning 40, but Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of really difficult things that I've gone through, you know, since then. And so, um, yeah, I would think people just look at me like, she wakes up like your joke (laughs) about like, she must wake up like this. Yeah. No, I don't wake up. I don't wake up looking perfect. (laughs) Here's the thing though, because it's, it, it is harder for you. I don't have a part of my day where I have to put on makeup, professional makeup for camera, uh, be dressed, uh, you know, for appearance on TV. Um, and you have to have a professionalism and persona on camera Mm -hmm. that, would easily trick people into thinking, well, that's just how her life is. I mean, Mm -hmm. she must be dressed in a designer clothes all the time or whatever it is when really 
they don't see you in the yoga pants and the ponytail and, you know, just having a breakdown, the, having a breakdown, <laughs> the real life, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that is the, that is the additional hurdle that you have that I Absolutely. don't have, which Absolutely. makes it hard for people to really see into how life really is. Um, but I will say you do, you do do your own makeup. I do. I have seen you in a Marco Polo at like (laughs) four in the morning. (laughs) There I am. Nobody does my hair and makeup. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So it is a, it is an actual, just she's doing it herself. So, well, speaking of your TV career, you've been on King five for what, like 20, 21 years. I just celebrated my 21st anniversary. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. You have grown up on there, right? Like so many life things. Oh my word. Mm -hmm. We had a question come in. uh, What do you think is the best part of your job and the worst part of your job? Mm. I would say the best part of my job is the ability to meet all kinds of people Mm. and the ability to learn about so many different things. And I always joke that I know a little bit, a, a little bit about a lot of things um, right, because right. my job is, you know, I'm assigned stories that I don't know a whole heck of a lot of about, but then at the end of the day, it's my job to inform people. So I better right. figure it out and mm-hmm. learn really quickly. And um, so I know a little about a variety of subjects. And I love that because every Mm -hmm. day I'm learning, I am learning something all the time. And because when it's not just, I'm consuming something and I'm learning something and I can move on. I, my job is to make sure that I am not only learning, but I can um, then explain this to people, right? It Mm -hmm. goes a different level of, I need to understand this, not just for myself, but to explain this to others. But I love that part. I love getting to know people and I love meeting people and, and hearing about their various stories. And um, that will never get old. Yeah. Um, so that's the best part of my job. Yeah. Um, and, and secondary to that is now that I've been on the morning show for several years now, one of the things that I truly do not take for granted is the is the privilege of knowing that I've become a part of someone's daily routine. Yeah. Just knowing that, you know, our morning viewers are so regimented, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you wake up at the same time, you do the same thing, you, you know, turn on the TV, you get your mm-hmm. coffee, you know, whatever order, but, but it's always the same thing. And you're a part of that. And now that I've been on vacation for a week and a half, I've had people, you know, message me and say, my mornings aren't the same. And I just, I am so touched by that because I know that they wouldn't reach out to me to tell me if they didn't really mean that and that I matter. And I mean, I'm a part of their life to know that is such an honor. Um, that is the best part of my job, you know, really one of the best parts. Um, the worst part really is, uh, I can never escape it. So you can turn it off. If you've had too much bad news, you can decide to, to not check social media or not check websites or not turn on the TV. I can't escape it. So that's number one is that I can really never escape the negative news. Mm-hmm. And secondly, uh, having to pick up the phone or knock on someone's door of someone who has lost a loved one. Oh gosh. Is the worst. Mm. It's just like this person just lost someone, either in yeah. the Iraq war, mm. the uh, in a car accident, mm-hmm. uh, because they've been murdered. 
they just, the grief is like so fresh mm. and, and I have to, hi, right. I'm so sorry. You know, just, it's awful. There's mm-hmm. nothing good about that. I mm-hmm. think the only thing that has has helped in those situations is like, I try to go into those situations with as much humanity and compassion as possible and with as much respect um, as possible. But when these people open their doors and they invite me in to their space in their time of grief, and they want to share their story of their loved one is when I can't think of a greater responsibility. And that is an opportunity for them to, um, like sometimes I think they think it's therapy, like it's therapeutic for them to be able to talk to someone else um, and, and, and you know, allow their uh, son or daughter, or husband or wife, you know, his legacy to, to live on through, through their words and be able to share their story. Um, that part is good, but mm-hmm. man, it's, it never gets easy uh, oh to do gosh. that. It's hard. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And I'm going to ask a question later, but just about the human aspect, because it, you have to ask questions and be professional, but also you're a human that's also Mm -hmm. asking. So you're, you're feeling empathy towards someone, but also having to do your job, which can be very conflicting at times. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, I'm sitting Um, across from this person. Do I cry? Do I not cry? Cause I want to cry. Right. I'm not supposed to cry. Am I supposed to cry? It's going to be weird. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. man. Um, okay. Well, I promised Jake, I would ask this question for him. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> he was like, Oh, Oh, ask me this. Do you perceive when people notice who you are and are lurking near you or standing around you? For an example, Jake is like mesmerized with Rick Riz. Right. And so there was this one time we were at this gala event and he was, well, I'm just going to go stand at the bar. Cause that's where he was standing. And I was like, you are being very weird. You are lurking. And he's like, he can't, he doesn't know that I am. And I'm like, it's obvious. You're sidling him almost, you know? And so he was like, ask Mimi, does she know when people know who you are and are sort of doing the lurky thing? And then also, what do you do in that moment? Do you just break the awkwardness and say, hi, I'm Mimi. <laughs> or do you ignore it and pretend like you don't notice <laughs> what do you do? Okay. So we, it's a very funny question. It's re- that was a really good one, Jake. Um, here's the weird part. And I don't know if this is the same thing for other celebrities. I say that right. in your quotes because yeah. I don't right. feel like a right. celebrity. No. Yeah. But anyway, I don't notice. <laughs> I Oh my gosh. It's the funniest thing. Like with, I, when, when I'm with someone, yeah. I'm with friends or whatnot, they'll like elbow me and go, and I'm like, what, huh? Yeah. Whether it's on an airplane <laughs> or in the grocery store or at a restaurant, I am oblivious. I don't notice. Mm. I don't notice. Oh and, um, and so it's not until they pointed out that I look right. I do the high and then they kind of like, you know, they're, they got, they got caught. And so yeah. then I kind of do the awkward wave. Right. <laughs> I don't know. And I also notice that people, if I'm alone, people will come up to me, but if I'm with somebody, they won't. Mm. So, or they're less inclined to, right? So if I'm sitting at a restaurant with you and somebody recognizes me, they are less inclined to interrupt our dinner to say hi or to, you know, just say hi or anything like that. But if I buy myself, there are people who, who won't do that, but, but but I get more of that when I'm by myself. And, um, and a lot of times people will, they'll, like if I go to Nordstrom or if I'm at the grocery store or Target or wherever, somebody will recognize me, but they don't know where they know me from. 
So they'll say, Oh, right. Oh, yeah. You come here. Do you come here a lot? Or how do I, how do I know you? But they don't remember that they know me from TV. And so the one time I go, Oh, I'm Amy Jung from King five. They go, mm, no, <laughs> that was no, the last time. It. That was the last time that I ever assumed it was because I work on TV. <laughs> and so one oh time, just God. recently I was with my kids and somebody, you know, said that they were like, I, I just, I feel like I, I feel like I know you or how do I, how do I know you? And I go, mm-hmm. I just went like this. And then I walked away and my kids go, mom, you know, they know you from TV. And I said, I'm not saying that anymore. Yeah. And I'm sure this person will like, you know, figure this out five seconds after I walk away. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. So the joke is, unless you say, do I know you from King five or are you that person on TV? Then I will confirm. Yeah. No, oh, you know, oh, here's right. the deal. People always wonder, are people nice? And do, am I bothered by that? Yeah. And I'm, I'm not because no one is ever rude. They're right. When they recognize me, they just want to say nice things. They just want to say hi. They just, uh, and really, you know, the men and women, the kids who are Asian American, those are the ones who are, you know, they, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm fangirling right now. Like I, it's so cute. And I just, yeah. feel, you know, so honored. And so yeah. I don't mind at all. People are really, really nice. Yeah. Oh my word. Okay. Quickly. Uh, yes or no. In your 21 years, have you ever name dropped? Have you no. ever used your name as a perk as a, like to get a reservation? Uh, Okay. Well, I wouldn't say that I, years, Mimi. well, okay. So here's the deal. <laughs> I really don't name drop because it feels weird to me. Right now when I was married, my legal name was my married name. Right. Sometimes I would use my TV name. Yes. TV okay. Name. Yes. Yes. No, just, I yeah. wouldn't say like, I'm Mimi Jung from King five. No. So I demand this table and cut in front of all these other people yeah. or like, can you get me in? Cause of like, I don't like verbalize it, right. but if they happen to recognize my name on the reservation list and yes. they want to see me at a better table, I'm not going to argue. Thank you for being honest. I appreciate that because honestly, I would do the same. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I do have one question just about reporting without showing emotion because you had sort of alluded to when you're on camera, your job is to report the news and not so much show emotion, but, you know, with your own personal stuff that you've gone through, I mean, you know, you're, you're father passed away from cancer, like you have gone through a divorce, personal traumas, personal stuff that happens to you or that you hear about uh, while reporting the news. Have you ever like cried on camera? Have you ever reported the tone being angry or whatnot? Like how do you keep your emotion from being expressed while trying to do your job? That seems so conflicting to me to abandon emotion. Yeah. I will say earlier on in my career, I felt like you can't, you can't show any emotion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't mean you can't share emotion it means you can't share your personal emotion, right? Mm-hmm. So you can, you can, you should as a reporter sound and be empathetic and compassionate, right? You're not, you're not a robot, right? right? But sharing your personal emotion, the, the reason why I, we were just taught not to do that. Mm. But secondly, because at least for me, I don't want my emotion to be a part of the story because mm. I'm not the story. Mm. I'm right. telling the story. 
And so I am very careful not to allow that to become front and center because it shouldn't be. But there have been times that I will remember distinctly the very first time I thought I was going to cry on TV. Mm. I I will never forget it. Mm. It was after I became a parent (gasps) and I had to read a story about a child being hurt. Mm. And I, I was anchoring and I remember like this lump in my throat, like mm. it just started getting bigger and my voice started kind and I was trying to hold back because I was processing the story through the eyes of a parent now, which I wasn't mm. before. Mm-hmm. And suddenly <laughs> I had to put back on that, you know, oh, 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 pull it back, pull it back. And so I think as news anchors, yes, I, I, it, it happens almost instinctively, you don't even realize it's happening, where because you need to be unbiased, no matter what story it is, if you're angry about something, if you think it's unjust, if you think it's not right, if you're against what that person just said, you can't come back on camera, even with a, a side-eye look. Mm-hmm. Um, you, 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 you're trained to be unbiased. And so because of that, naturally, that emotion gets kind of tucked away in there too. Like anything you're reacting to is not, you're not supposed to react to anything. Mm -hmm. So it's a reaction, Mm -hmm. not necessarily an emotion. And there's a difference, right? Mm -hmm. You can be um, super emotional and happy about, you know, if the Mariners were to win the world series, Mm -hmm. I mean, I hope you wouldn't keep your composure then, you know, right. But, but there's a difference between reacting to that story and, and how that might seep into the bias. But as I've gotten older, I've also realized that it's important to connect with my audience in a yeah. way that allows them to see that I'm human. Mm. And I, I, I do that now because I'm more comfortable with who I am, mm. not because I think this is something someone's supposed to do. Like no one told me, well, Mimi, you should you know, try to cry on TV every once in a while, or, you know, you should really try to react. No, it's just me getting older and being more mature and being more comfortable in who I am, not only as a person, but as a news anchor Mm -hmm. that I know that I've established my credibility in the last 21 years, that if I show something of myself, then people connect with me better, which means that when I tell them other things, they're going to be connected with me. Mm -hmm. And so when I have showed emotion on TV, so I have (laughs) in this last year, I've cried on TV probably more times than I've ever in my entire career. And that there, I will tell you candidly and honestly, it's never planned. Mm -hmm. It is never, (laughs) it's not like, and this is where I'll insert tears. Right. Um, it's just every single time it's happened, you can hear it. You know, you can hear mm-hmm. when somebody's right. voice just starts changing yeah. and it's it it's out there. Mm-hmm. And it's always been so sincere and genuine. And mm-hmm. the responses that I've got from people who are seeing that side of me, yeah, it's just been so positive because viewers just go, oh my gosh, I, because I was feeling that way. And then mm-hmm. to see you feel that way meant that you're human, which mm-hmm. means that if you're human and you're talking to me, then all of a sudden I value what you're saying more. And I believe what you're saying more. And you're not just this person reading words on a, on a screen. Well, I was going to ask you, um, you know, later, later on in this, uh, at the end of this podcast, we usually do this thing called a post process. And I was going to ask you about a post that you wrote on Instagram, which was right after the riots. And you had, uh, you had gone to Bellevue and you had been reporting on, on what you were seeing and people coming out of the woodworks to clean up and all this stuff. And you absolutely in your, you did an Instagram story and, um, you 
absolutely had emotion all over your face. I mean, you were tearful and just taken aback with emotion. And I mean, that's instantaneously what I was thinking about is like, how can you go through this last year and even specifically that moment and reconcile like reporting, but not feeling, I mean, even in your Instagram you absolutely were feeling and you just let it go. And that was so, so healthy, so good, you know? Well, it was actually that morning Mm -hmm. that I was reporting. It was in downtown Seattle and I was reporting Mm -hmm. for hours and hours on the, the damage that was done, the cleanup that happened, you know, so I'm there just reporting on all this stuff that's happening around me. I'm interviewing people and I'm all of a sudden, next thing I know, there's all these people with garbage bags and and brooms Mm -hmm. and, you know, coming out of the woodwork and, and helping to clean up. And as I was reporting live that morning in one of the live shots, as I am just talking, I was suddenly just overcome by Mm -hmm. emotion. And Mm -hmm. I, I started crying. Mm-hmm. And I it, I, it was, it was uh, so many emotions that I was having, not just about the cleanup that I was seeing, but just about, about the death of George Floyd, about yeah. the video we saw, um, about the, 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 the anger and the emotion and the protests and the protesters and their message and their voices and, and all mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Plus, you know, the, the, the destruction and the damage and the cleanup and the good. And it was Mm -hmm. just a lot. Mm -hmm. And I had so many emotions going on that in that moment, as I was live again, that's a moment where you could see it just changed where I couldn't hold it in any longer. And my voice cracked. I I was wearing a mask, but all you saw, you could just hear it, right? You couldn't, Mm -hmm. you you could kind of see my eyes, but Mm -hmm. you could hear it in my voice that I was just sad and heartbroken and just Mm -hmm. feeling all these things that viewers were feeling too. And um, that was one of those moments uh, (laughs) of a few in this last Mm -hmm. year where um, I'm just being real. I'm just being real. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend I'm not going to act like everything's okay. Cause it's not, it's not okay right now. Right. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate it. That, that humanity yeah. <laughs> part of you. It, yeah. I really appreciate it. Well, let's talk about, let's sort of wrap up the, the work aspect of you by talking just a little bit about um, you're not a one man show on on air, you have a sidekick. I've got a sidekick. <laughs> You're going. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, with creativity, there's a lot, often a lot of collaboration and partnership, and this is a, a way of your collaboration and partnership. And I, really quickly, because there was a question about this to set the record straight. He is married. You are in a relationship. You, I mean, this is almost a compliment to you guys. It's a total compliment. Having chemistry is very important, but there is nothing going on with you guys. Uh, (laughs) No, I will say for the record, there is nothing romantic going on between me and Jake Whitmer. But I honestly do think it's a compliment because what it says to to me is that we get along so well that we could possibly be in a relationship. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Which, you know, honestly, we are. Minus the, you know, romantic part. I mean, the truth is, is that, that we have a friendship and a relationship that is unusual Mm -hmm. for anchor teams. 
Yes. And we know that and we recognize that and we don't take that lightly. And it's because we we really have, we naturally just click, but yes. also we, we've cultivated our relationship. We work on our relationship mm-hmm. and we really do just get along. Like we really mm-hmm. just are friends. So it's not hard. Um, and we just jive. It's very, it's odd. Did um, you have that from the beginning? Like, did you have yeah. instant chemistry the first time you met? Yeah. And that's where I'm saying it's like, it's like comparing yourself, you know, when you meet like your, you know, your husband or whoever, you know, romantic relationship, you you just know, right. You just have that spark. You're finishing sentences and, and, you know, you say something, they say something and you just feed off each other. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you think they're funny. They think you're funny. They think you're smart. You think they're smart. Um, There are parts of each other, uh, uh, both of us that were very similar Mm -hmm. and yet we're very different. Mm -hmm. And that we have this kind of relationship where we appreciate those differences. So it works, Mm -hmm. right? He's a certain way. And I'm like, I wish I was more like that. Or I'm Mm -hmm. a certain way. And he looks up to me and says, I wish I was more like that. And we learn from each other. So I think when you have those relationships, you know, if you put it in a romantic context, like that's the kind of, that's the best kind of relationship in which you feel like you're a partner, in which you feel like you make each other better, in which you feel like you are valued and you're heard and you're understood. And, um, you know, all of those important aspects. I've learned so much about relationships by working with Jake because our relationship, like I said, is something we really value and work on. It's not, the chemistry's there, but Mm -hmm. as with any romantic relationship, you can't just let it go, right? Mm -hmm. You have to work on it, which means someone might misinterpret something you said and you have to like in a good relationship, not hold a grudge, figure out how to apologize, approach that person with awkward, uncomfortable conversations about something they did that, really pissed you off, you know, right. Just, right? right. But, but that's why we get along so well is because we get each other and we work on it, mm-hmm. but the getting each other, that part, I mean, it's, just, it's just two people. And I don't know what Enneagram he is. Cause I know you're yeah. really into Enneagrams, <laughs> but I should find out oh, yes. <laughs> because I should find out because we really yeah. are compatible. We're just naturally compatible. Um, so yeah, no, you know what? It's honestly more of a brother sister relationship. It's funny that people think we're in a relationship or married, but, right. but we're really, he thinks I'm the older sister and mm-hmm. I like pick on him like a younger brother. Yeah. So that's what it's really like. And so do you, uh, have you ever like sister, brother fight offset? Are you always aligned on things? No, it's yeah. No, I mean, I would say for the most part, we don't, we don't fight a lot. Mm -hmm. We don't agree on things. Mm -hmm. Um, and but when you don't agree yet, you have respect for the other person. Right. It's okay. Yeah. And I've always told him, I said, in the very beginning, I said, you know, I may say something and you may take it the wrong way. You may say something and I might take it the wrong way. And then suddenly it becomes this rift between us. Right. I said, let's assume good intent always. Yeah. And when you put it through the filter of assume good intent, whatever that person said, if you go, you know what, they're they have good intentions, then you're going to receive it differently, which means then you're just going to, maybe you'll ask a question. Like, did you really mean that? I'm assuming Mm -hmm. you didn't, but I'm just going to ask, you know? And Mm -hmm. so we, so yeah, there are times when, I don't know, we wake up at, you know, two in the morning, we're not always in good moods. Right. (laughs) Sometimes we're grumpy, you know, and in this last year of COVID and, you know, with remote learning and parenting through that time, like we come into work with our own baggage and right grumpiness and we're not always our best. And so we know that about each other and we know we just are, we give each other a lot of grace, I think. 
Yeah. And I have to assume that's a huge part in how you build your relationship. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a measure of likability that you have to have. And that goes along with honesty to the viewers and the viewers can call bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, you can, you can see when someone actually gets along, but but it does mean that it, you're not two totally aligned people. You have to build your relationship by having honest dialogue, meaning that you don't always agree on things and you have to go there on certain things. One of the questions that I really wanted to ask in the sense of like a unified team or partnership, you know, he is you, he's a white male. You are uh, an Asian American woman in the workplace. How do you move through differences that arise by with that in mind? What are your conversations like? How do you approach uh, or do you approach conversations around pay differences or cultural differences? Even in light of the story of the NCAA basketball team where it was like, clearly Mm -hmm. there were some differences. So when those news stories come up, do you talk about those things Mm -hmm. even on a personal aspect? Yeah. Yeah, we do. I was, I will say that we, we haven't had until recently the talk or conversations surrounding racism and discrimination Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. at all. And just like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, Mm -hmm. these aren't conversations that he's ever brought up or that I've ever brought up. Um, And that's not his fault. And it's not your fault either. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of uh, gender differences, gender pay, uh, equality, women in the workplace, working moms in the workplace versus working dads. I mean, we have these conversations all the time. And I Mm. think that he appreciates my perspective because I'll bring up something that he may not have thought about or seen. Mm -hmm. And so they're really healthy conversations. And I think Mm -hmm. he really truly does appreciate when I bring something to the table that he was not aware of before. And I open his eyes. And again, he wouldn't receive that if he didn't respect me, right? Right. He wouldn't receive that in a way that's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. Oh, that's a good point. So yeah, we definitely have had those types of conversations. And I really try to point those things out because I think it's important that he sees, Hey, you know what? You are treated differently than I am in the workplace, right? You're treated differently in the world than I am. And here's why and how. Yeah. That's yeah. So good. Thank you for talking about that and sharing that. Just got to know a lot about you. Thank you. Okay, tell me, I can't wait to hear what you were surprised by. Isn't that so funny when we see someone on TV and then we hear their backstory or the things that they go through and you realize that they are a human. There are real emotions. There are real struggles and pains. She has gone through a professional career in front of many eyes, but also had life happen behind a screen. Honestly, I've always thought this about people who are on the radio or on TV. I've always wondered, how do you do that? How do you go through the struggles and the pains of life and then show up in front of an audience as a perky professional self. It blows my mind. But as Mimi shared, 
through her 21 plus years in front of a camera, emotion and a heart has a way of showing up and it will find its way out. And it has done so through her just being honest with her audience in interviews with other people, sharing their pain and expressing the emotions of what we too are feeling at home when we hear tragic things on the news or see things we wish we could unsee. I want to give a special thank you to her. I don't know if you knew, but she stayed on a recording for three hours with me so that we could have some very powerful, honest conversations. I enjoyed this one so much because it was light and fun. And I feel like Mimi's personality really just shined through. She's such an amazing person. And I just wanted to remind you of the two following episodes that will be coming out talking about discrimination and her story and her journey through racism and what it was like to grow up as an Asian American in a culture where assimilation was far too often influenced. Stay tuned for part two and part three of our honest dialogue. And thank you for being a part of the conversation. 